0: DesignCast podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators. Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan, and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors, and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes For this episode of Design Cast, I had the privilege to speak with Lisa Blank. Lisa is the director of STEM programs at Watertown City School District in upstate New York. She is also a lead STEAM fellow and a member of the Advisory Council for STEM Learning Ecosystems and a regional co-chair for her local ecosystem, which we'll talk about what that means in the episode. We had a great conversation about what it takes to implement a STEM program culture across multiple buildings and levels. There is something for everyone in this episode. The links that Lisa shares are also included in the show notes, so be sure to check those out and to connect with Lisa on the social media platform of your choice. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Lisa Blank. Welcome back to another episode of Design Cast, and on this episode of Design Cast, I have Lisa Blank with me. Lisa, good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm doing well, Jason. It's great to be here with you. It's an, it's an honor to be part of the podcast.
0: <laughs> the honor is all mine. I am so excited to chat with you and you have such great things to share. So Lisa, if you don't mind, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in education?
1: Well, it's kind of a long story. I'm the director of STEM programs for Watertown City School District. And I work with students in a pre-K-12 setting, nearly 4,000 students there. I'm also very involved with STEM learning ecosystems. And I work with educators across the Northern stretch of New York. And by Northern stretch of New York, I mean Adirondack Park is in the middle of it. It's very vast, geographically isolated and not at all what people think of when they think of New York, because I know growing up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul region myself, I thought of New York City whenever I thought New York. I live in a very rural area, just four miles from the border with Canada. I've been here for about 20 years. Prior to this, I lived and taught in Southern New Hampshire, and I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, began my teaching career in Red Wing, Minnesota. So it was my husband's career as an air traffic controller that really brought us to Fort Drum. And that is an army post very near to where I live and teach. It was this move that kind of opened the door for me to have horses again, which is something that I was very active as a young child and, and teenager, I used to ride and show horses a lot so here i am with my horses and i'm in rural northern new york and i have been very active in advocating for stem education i never saw myself as being an educator when i was a child or teenager and probably the reason for that was because my mother was a teacher i saw the hours she worked i saw the you know relatively low pay for the amount of work that was being done and i didn't think that was for me i was always very very curious about world. And I I guess I'm thankful that that hasn't been kind of worked out of me. And I think that drives my continued passion for STEM education. What happened in, in my college experience was as a chemistry major, I had been asked to tutor a group of nursing students who I had worked with, you know, as a lab assistant, helping them, you know, with their laboratory work. And I really loved it. I loved helping those students succeed at the work that they needed to do. You know, they were nervous, fearing that you know, they weren't going to be able to successfully complete the nursing program that they were in, which was a nursing program with the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I was able to help them and I found great joy in, in being able to use my knowledge of science to help make the concrete or help make the abstract content of chemistry more concrete to those nursing students. So that's really what put me into education. I've had experiences in suburban and rural schools, and now that I'm in you know, this rural isolated area of Northern New York, I saw a real need for advocating for better access to supplies, equipment, professional learning opportunities, you know, for to support all the areas of STEM education. So hopefully that kind of answers a little (laughs) bit about my background. It's pretty it's kinda different, I guess, than than what might be a typical path into STEM education.
0: You know, I agree. And thank you for sharing that with me. And I will I will say that one trend I've noticed in the time I've been doing these interviews is that for particular reasons, design educators, STEM educators, STEAM educators, they often have a really winding path <laughs> with lots of hairpin turns that get them to where they are. Unlike in many cases, an English teacher, for example, they knew that all along that they wanted to be an English teacher. <laughs> you know. And so I, I think the life experiences that most STEM teachers have really helps to Grow those experiences in their students. It's great that you've had all those experiences, and so I have to ask, how many horses do you have now?
1: Yeah, so I do have a small farm, um, very rural. Mm-hmm. I've got, you know, I really enjoy sure. it. Sure, I guess during this time of the pandemic, oh, to wow. be able to go and have that space and spend time in the great outdoors with with my mm-hmm. horses and and dogs and stuff, it just it brings peace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of people have kind of gotten back to the simpler things in life during this time in the last 12 months or so. And so it's great that you got, you've you had that. And so tell me, you you mentioned that I have something written down here that you shared with me that you are the lead STEAM fellow and member of the Advisory Council for STEM Learning ecosystems and a regional co-chair for my local ecosystem. What what is an ecosystem?
1: Well, as we think about, you know, the community that you develop for STEM, you know, I've listened to your podcast with Liz Gallo and Fee Morrison, and, and I've been thinking about this, the need for community. People by nature need this community to work with, to share ideas, to learn and grow together. Right. So STEM learning ecosystems is an international organization there are 96 ecosystems that are formal ecosystems currently with this organization. And what it does is it creates this community of practice. It brings it together business and industry, nonprofits, out of school programs, K-12 educators, colleges and universities, all to kind of struggle with this problem of STEM education. How do we get consistent, equitable experiences in STEM learning to our students across the globe? How do we create those career pathways and pipelines so that we have a well-trained, skilled workforce to solve the big problems now and into the future? And how can we partner with the various um, sectors that might come together to support STEM education. So we get into some advocacy, some partnerships with business and industry supporting activities in the schools, and then opportunities via internships and such to, you know, support that career-focused pathway development. So STEM Ecosystems looks at bringing together thought leaders to kind of navigate that process of creating a STEM focus in our learning for all it's not just K-12. It's really for for all, so that we have that skilled workforce, maybe as an ultimate goal. And but, I would argue that I just want people to be curious and, and enjoy life as well. And I feel like without curiosity and that that need and desire to explore one's world, I think life gets a little dull. So, I think it's more than just you know more than just a career focus. So. LEAD STEM Fellows, that is a leadership program through STEM Learning Ecosystems. I, along with about 20 other leaders in STEM, came together or gathered together over just over a year in really honing our leadership skills and and thinking about how we were going to work to influence the STEM learning landscape. STEM Ecosystems has done two leadership cohorts, so they have 40 to 50 I don't know the exact number of lead STEM fellows that have gone through this training program and it's it's pretty intense you really think about the impact you have on others and how to help you know move STEM education forward you know not just in some areas like some areas seem to have a lot of business and industry that are really supporting this but we're really looking at trying to make it equitable for all my region New York is split into economic development zones as a state and I think a lot of states probably operate that way and I I know that in New York at least the you know so there's they're gathering a lot of data and helping to support the local business community. Economic development zones kind of track economic progress, they help provide some workforce training. So in New York these economic development zones also have become stem hubs, so to speak, where we come together in these regions to promote STEM education and work on developing those partnerships with business and industry to, you know, help move STEM education forward. So for example, in New York, Siemens Corporation has been very influential in in supporting like some of the robotics activities and the technology classroom activities in my region. Does that sort of explain? Oh, it? that's that's
0: <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, I know that wasn't necessarily a, a question that we probably planned to ask. But when I saw that, yeah. I was like, I need to know more about this. And so these ecosystems, are they based all in America or are they global or do you, do you know? Like, No,
1: we have Mexico, Israel. I'm trying to think. I know where it's. It might be Kenya. I'm, mm-hmm. I I'd have to look. If you go to STEMecosystems.org, they actually have a
0: map okay. that
1: shows, you know, it has dots and shows where all these ecosystems sure. are located. Oh, one of my friends, one of my good friends is in British Columbia. So we have Canada okay.
0: as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, so, I think people listening might be that you might can gain some more locations <laughs> through um, this.
1: I, it's just That need for community Mm. is is huge and people want to, I think, you know, people want to be able to help. One of the things that really struck me is at the start of the pandemic, people normally when there's a crisis, they want to help others. So they struggled with it. People struggled with the idea. I can't go out and help others like I normally would because we were all kind of shut down and closed in. And I wonder if in some respects that hasn't helped to kind of forge the strength of, say, the Twitter community and others where people want to come together and, well, we maybe can't solve the COVID problem, but we can certainly work on solving some other problems collaboratively in this online environment while we're isolated at home.
0: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I am I, when we hang up. I'm going to be checking checking that out. I'll make sure well, to include you, that in the show notes as well because I'm sure that people will be really curious because any community like that that's online, people want to know about it.
1: Well, STEM ecosystems. One of the things that's been tough though is we generally would have a couple of in-person convenings each year, and we too have been held back from being mm-hmm. able to do that in our convenings We don't call them conferences. We call them convenings or communities of practice because it's really about bringing in your challenges, bringing in your ideas about how we can work together to solve these problems Mm -hmm. and what can we learn from others in the community.
0: I've just pulled up the website and I cannot wait to dig into it because that looks like it's something I definitely want to be a part of or at least. You know, review yeah. and see what, what we can do to kind of bring even more resources into the, into the fold, so to speak. I'm excited to read about that. And so I, I hate to shift gears, but I'm going to do it. Just thinking back now to the situation you're in, you are a district level leader. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so can you give me sort of just an overview of your district and what that looks like for, for STEM?
1: So that's, it's an interesting challenge. I'm in a district that has eight buildings. We've got four elementary schools, an intermediate school, which is five, six, a middle school, which is seven, eight, and a high school, which is nine, 12. And in the schools, the principals really drive what goes on in those schools. So a challenge for me coming into this setting nearly six years ago was that most of the school leaders really didn't have much knowledge as to what STEM is. One of them has, you know, a fair amount of technology knowledge and has some savvy there. But, you know, I I started thinking that I was going to help, you know, everybody in the community understand what STEM was. And I thought that being able to influence other school leaders would be, you know, probably a good way to go about getting that but i found that you know i wasn't in charge of them they weren't in charge of me so i'm kind of off here in my own world and they're kind of like what is that what is stem and meanwhile they're so caught up in the management responsibilities that they kind of lose sight of anything other than what they have to comply with we become a very compliance driven structure new york is a very test driven state If it's not tested, it's not deemed as being nearly so important and that makes things really tough. So what I found to be really successful is in creating those STEM opportunities for the young kids reaching our elementary schools with STEM camps, clubs, visits to the classroom, being present with, you know, bringing high school clubs even to like the technology class, bringing them to science fairs or STEAM fairs in the elementary buildings so the parents can see some of these things that we do with STEM, and then they start demanding it. So, we actually have created a culture, and it's, this sounds sort of backwards maybe, but Our elementary kids have had more experiences with robotics and coding in many cases than our middle school kids. So now middle school parents start demanding it. Principals start saying, wait a minute, we've got to do something here because these kids are coming in with more knowledge than what we have to offer. So it's kind of a a bottom up strategy in terms of influencing the culture and it's, it's working. It, I had, hadn't necessarily envisioned it going that way. My last building to really come online with a maker space, we have maker spaces in all eight of our buildings, really was our high school. And it took a while to really find that person who was passionate to move it forward and, and act, is in our library because that's the most accessible location. But we're so we get so caught up in what we have to do that sometimes it's hard for people to see where this fits. So now, doors have been opened for people to start understanding that STEM isn't just science, technology, engineering, and math, it's an overlap of those concepts with other disciplines, you know, in a transdisciplinary setting. So we have social studies teachers, English teachers, et cetera, coming in to the library to do 3D design and 3D printing projects, some doing sewing projects. You know, vinyl cutting, etc. But it's really interesting that it took a bottom-up approach as opposed to that top-down approach. And I guess we all know that works better in some respects. But I was, I was really surprised at the resistance mm-hmm. to it at the leadership
0: level. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, several episodes ago, I had someone on that said people are. When it comes to change, it's not the change they're afraid of. It's the loss. And I think in many cases, people think if you're doing this, that means you're going to lose that. I think that you're absolutely right. It actually makes sense because often elementary school or primary age school teachers have a bit more breadth and bandwidth and kids are more creative than, you know, we we really school the creativity out of kids by the time they hit high school. So it does make sense when you talk about it, right?
1: Right. One of the problems that we have is this concept of seat time. And we do have creative teachers at the elementary school who understand that, oh, I can infuse some algorithmic thinking, some coding in with this kindergarten animals project that I'm working on. So the kids are doing reading, and they're doing science, and they're doing some computer science, at least you know, the, the thinking in an unplugged sense. So I think the fact that they are contained in a classroom where all the disciplines can easily fuse together, I think it makes sense that it's easier there. Sometimes I feel like in the older grades, we get so stuck in our silos that it almost becomes a rut. We think, got this curriculum map, I need to cover all these things. And people fail to see that you could make deeper, better connections and have kids so much more excited about their learning. If you take the time to think creatively about how do I weave this in with other content that's meaningful and relevant to my students. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And it, it sounds to me like you've got this district wide approach, which is a little surprising, but it's working yes. to start from the bottom. So what have how have you had helped in implementing this? What sorts of things have, have helped you? Have there been members of the community? Have there been organizations? What has helped you in the implementation of this?
1: So one of the things I really have to say has been a huge help to me has been our technology integration specialists in the district. They have been kind of right, they've been right in there with me. I go into classrooms sometimes and work with with teachers and students directly. Some of the concepts that we teach or some of the activities we do are not necessarily easy for teachers to take on by themselves. So we'll do professional, you know, learning and professional development on robotics, for example. That doesn't mean a teacher, even if they've done a couple of days of training, feels comfortable going and doing that activity with their kids. So we're there with them, like an infused coaching kind of model, and I found that to be extremely effective because once you go through, you know, a couple times going in working with the teacher and the students, they kind of let go of that idea that they need to be the experts. And they see that, you know, sometimes if you let go and let kids do, you'll be amazed at the result. and. That's a very different approach that makes a lot of teachers uncomfortable. But I found the best results come when teachers kind of let go and they they accept that in some of these newer technologies, I'm gonna be learning alongside the kids. And you know what? That's okay. It's fun. And I find that they find a lot of joy in learning when they take when they accept that. So that's been really the coaching piece has been really huge. Other things I would have to say, the STEM ecosystems and my Twitter and LinkedIn crowds have been, you know, the people that I gather with there. So many ideas and resources, even just the short posts sometimes are enough to give you an idea of another approach you might take. Maybe it's the thing that uplifts you that day when you're frustrated because you're hitting resistance and it keeps you going. But all those little connections matter a lot and i would also say that within the community the business industry ecosystem partners have been helpful too so our um, local chamber of commerce one of the leaders said hey lisa i'd like you to come speak with the chamber about what's going on with computer science in the district because we need you know we're concerned we've had employers say they need more you know basic coding skills and employees so that knowledge of that alone kind of has other leaders you know take notice that hey this is an area we really do need to pay attention to because our community needs it and i would also say then that the support to programming like experts coming in for project-based learning activities to serve on a panel to discuss issues with kids to be interviewed regarding you know maybe some of the expertise that's needed our students did a playground playground design project and so they needed to speak with local coding officers and you know, a variety of people from our community, they're eager and willing to come in and support the activities that we do. So I'm, I'm thankful for all of that, too.
0: You know, it behooves the local community to be involved, <laughs> you know, because yes. these are going to be their future constituents or even employees or managers or employers, you know. So it really makes sense for them right. to help shape who those who those kids are going to be and who they're going to become, and so I think it's great, and I think hopefully as we emerge from a post COVID situation, this will be time to really rebuild the community ties, and hopefully in a different way, and hopefully in in a more enriching way. But let's see, you know, let's hope yeah. that comes. one through.
1: of the, one of the things I noted, you know, as I listened to the other podcasts and thought about people who I've seen be very effective with STEM, is a lot of them are connectors they're linking people together to help get the work done. So I think that idea of forming and forging those connections work between school and community are just so important.
0: I could not agree more and I actually revived this podcast for that very reason was to help hopefully continue the conversation while there was not the ability to do that in person (laughs) and so let's hope and it's been great it's been great to talk to people I've had access to people who I probably would not have been able to have conversations with very easily without this certain situation that we're in and so so you mentioned before Lisa that you've had some challenges with some of the you know you're in a public school so so there's always right. the, the demands of the red tape and whatnot. So what are, what are some of those challenges? You mentioned standardized testing, but what are some of the other things you've kind of had, had struggles with and challenges?
1: Well, I think that one of the other things is when you come in in a grant-funded position, which my position generally has been, we receive Department of Defense educational activity grant funding to support our STEM programming without it we wouldn't have nearly the amount of stem integration going on you know across our buildings and really across the region because other schools are impacted by it as well there's kind of a feeling though that grants are temporary so i think that also has been maybe a bit of a stumbling point in being taken seriously in this role is that well what are you going to do after five years when the grant's up and what they don't realize is that the support for this is continuing and growing. And I think that it's just a matter of time before maybe it becomes more commonly supported in districts as a a common leadership position. Really, it's kind of a branch of the curriculum and instruction leadership at the district level. So that probably is the biggest challenge. Another one is just the equity. Right now, I have teachers who are ready and eager. There is no mandate to do this. You have kind of made the inroads where I can. And that pool of educators has grown tremendously. They see the benefits. When you see the kids light up and really get engaged in learning, solve tough problems because they're enjoying what they're doing, when that child or those children may have previously been kind of disengaged and disconnected, it's a game changer. So the teachers that that take the risk engage in the activities, put in the time, they see the benefits and they keep going. So we are expanding, but it does trouble me that we have students who may not have the rich STEM experiences that the experiences you get right now kind of depend upon the comfort level of the teacher. We really wanna change that. And I'm working with a colleague of mine to really make a grade level approach. So at third grade, we're gonna hit all the classrooms. They're at least going to have these experiences so that we can start to I hate to say standardize, but at least make it known that all students in this grade level will experience this by the end of the year. You know, maybe it's some basic robotics and some coding. And we haven't defined exactly what that will be mm-hmm. because up to now it's been very much dependent upon the teacher's interests, willingness, and connections mm-hmm. to other curriculum areas.
0: So instead of the word standardized, maybe we can call it essential agreements, yes. <laughs> essential understandings, because <laughs> I understand your apprehension to use that word, but yes, it's
1: like, uh, yeah, but I do want to have some consistency, mm. maybe consistency is a better word mm-hmm. because I, the equity in access mm-hmm. is a, a great concern to me. One thing I have to say with robotics, it's been amazing to me. So you bring in this these kits of you know hundreds of parts, and students have to build their own robots. I find that most of the time, the vast majority of the time, are students who are the quickest to grasp that challenging content with building, designing, and even programming are students who are not doing well academically in school, students who have kind of been cast aside, I wouldn't say given up on, but they've been identified as having special learning needs, right? They're rock stars when it comes to robotics.
0: Of course. In
1: many, many cases. And it's like, it's just a matter, we need to meet kids where they are and make the learning experience valuable to them. I could
0: not agree with you more. I think everyone listening would be like, I completely agree with you. No, I I think we all do. I completely agree with you. And I don't think it's it's us that needs to be convinced. But I I, I tell you, that sounds really, really like your movie. It sounds like there's movement, which is better than some places. And, you know, of course, we can always have more movement. But it sounds like there is a momentum that's gaining. So that segues me to the next question, which is, what is your vision? What would you like to see happen in two, five, ten years down the road?
1: Well, one of the things I'd really like to see is to get rid of this concept of seat time and to think about STEM in a transdisciplinary sense. I'd like to see a lot of the learning. I know it's, it's challenging with, a lot has to be reconfigured for this to happen. I'd like students to be solving rich problems that matter to them, maybe local community problems in a project-based learning environment and be learning the math, the uh, English, social studies other content area arts you know other content areas through those rich projects because i know having seen it that when we can engage students in work that matters to them their learning is richer deeper and they hold on to it longer i heard a statistic just last week on some research that was done by an organization called speak is it speak up or speak out but anyway they were saying that Prior to the pandemic, 48% of high school students considered themselves to be disengaged from school. Meaning, you know, that wasn't about attendance, it just means that they weren't really really participating. And I fear that during the pandemic, things have gotten even lower, and if if we're having less than 50% of our students really engaged in the learning experiences, what are we doing? we really need to change this. I believe through rich STEM integration, we can create a learning experience for all students so that each student can find value, that the learning experience will give them skills, experience and knowledge that will fuel career options and interests and hobbies you know, beyond school. So I think that's where our challenge lies in, in redesigning a system that has been so factory modeled into one that allows for that rich creativity and flexibility to meet the unique needs of all of our students.
0: I could not have said that better myself. (laughs) I completely agree with you. And I think that emerging from this really scary time in our history, we will find a way to prioritize these things and make sure that that's what's happening. So Lisa, thank you for that. And so what are you super excited about at the moment?
1: Well, there are a lot of things I'm really excited about. I'm excited for this summer, our STEM camp. We have a STEM camp where we serve approximately 200 students in grades four through six. Robotics and is one of the top areas of interest for students always. Another one, which might be kind of weird to people, is heart dissection. We have local butchers who actually donate hearts, and kids love exploring, like, what, what are the parts of the heart, what does it look like, how does the heart work that is, even though it's gory and some of them think, oh, when they first, when they first engage in it, they, they absolutely love it. And that's an option. We never force students to do that. I'm also really excited about some projects. I think that work of Fee Morrison on the STEM Ed Magazine and the global community that that's bringing together, huge, really appreciate the work that she's doing there to help everybody with that. I'm looking forward also to there's a 100 stop series book that I actually worked on with Rick Jetter. In terms of leadership, it's really good. You know, I I have my STEM community. There's also a nice leadership community that developed online. And Dr. Rick Jetter is um, a leader in that community. And he brought together 100 authors to write a book on 100 no nonsense things that teachers should stop doing and i wrote a chapter on stop you know how, why we shouldn't use the same lesson plans year after year and the importance of making connections with our students so that will be released soft release is planned for april and full release is going to be in may additional books are being released around the 100-stop series for administrators, for parents, and for students. So those will all be coming. Trying to think, what else? Also really excited, New York State just adopted the computer science and digital fluency standards. I think that's a game changer for STEM education in New York State. We are one of five states in the country that included cybersecurity standards, and I was part of the writing, authoring um, team for those standards. And so we're working on resources now to support computer science integration. And the last thing I'll say that I'm, that's really exciting to me is the role of esports. Esports, my friend Gerald Solomon, who is the founder of NASAf, describes esports as the Trojan horse of education, meaning that you can use esports as a learning platform, a rich learning platform for content area skills, and it's like project-based learning in a virtual world. So. I see a lot coming forward with that. I think there's just, there are a lot of reasons to be excited Mm. about the future of STEM education. So I'm thrilled to be working in this area. The challenges that I have (laughs) faced are entirely
0: worth it. Yeah. And, you know, I think STEM is really agile and can be very nimble when it needs to be. And it can adapt to what the needs are. I agree with you about the eSports. I think that it's a game changer, pun intended, (laughs) about that. I am really excited. I love this idea of this 100 stops book that you're talking about. And I'll make sure that, that the link for that's in the show notes for anyone who wants to check that out. And so wow, that is that is super cool. I, I can see why you're excited. You're generally very positive anyway, but wow, there's a lot to be excited <laughs> excited for.
1: There's always you know so much to learn. There are just so many different approaches mm-hmm. and um, so many different things that you can do within the realm of STEM education. It's just looking at learning from, I guess, a, a big view rather than an, a you know, a really large perspective mm-hmm. on learning mm-hmm. as opposed to a very narrow content area focused perspective.
0: Sure. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I tell you that you're you're right on the money. I love it. That is fantastic. Lisa, tell me, what is one book that you would recommend someone drop right now and read?
1: I actually really, there are a lot of great books out there, but one that I think is really important as I reflected on my experiences with students with STEM, I really like the book book by Joe Bowler on um, limit. It's called Limitless Mind. In this book, she talks about brain growth, the need for productive struggle, mindset related to learning, multiplicity, meaning allowing for multiple different ways for students to learn things. And that definitely relates to STEM, flexibility and depth and the, the need for collaboration. I think what she discusses in that book really hits the heart of what we do in STEM, and she really actually advocates for data science, which I think is an important aspect of STEM learning as well. As we look at our world, I remember looking at the, the information when we first were seeing the stats come out on COVID cases, thinking about wow, there are some really rich math lessons here. Maybe not lessons we wanted to be teaching at the time, but really. The data science helping kids understand, you know, all these connections with the information in their world. I think it's just it's so important.
0: Absolutely. And you know, so many kids want to be YouTubers or they wanna be gamers and they're staying they're paying attention to their analytics, right? They're they're looking yes. at, at all of that, which is you know, something that Even five years ago, wouldn't have even been a blip on the radar. It is now. I mean, I have a nine year old and 11 year old and they talk about other people's stats on their YouTube channels. And they say, well, if they make this much money and they do this and they do that, here's what. And I'm like. I don't remember that ever being discussed at the kitchen table. So that was pretty amazing. So, so that
1: well, data science matters to your children. Absolutely, That's
0: really cool. I I That's completely cool. agree. And so, Lisa, so where do you go to get inspiration? I know you've talked a lot about that already, but what what specifically do you go to find inspiration?
1: Big thing is connections. You know, I have one of my colleagues that I work with in STEM ecosystems is uh, Dr. Mary Margaret Small from Clarkson University, and. And I work with her a lot on a lot of STEM related projects. We interface like using or having college students serve as mentors for high school students and middle school students and things in some of the projects we've done. And that's been very inspirational. Twitter, I mentioned Twitter a lot and and LinkedIn. I really like connecting with people there. What happens in the world of STEM is you tend to be that lone wolf. I don't know if that's a good phrase to use or not, but you tend to be that one person with this vision or passion in your organization. You might have other people who are affiliated and, and support it, but to really keep going with the new ideas and the strategy to move forward, those connections beyond your organization, I think, are critical. So I had mentioned the leadership connections, you know, so learning the skills for interacting with people and being influential in that respect are important, but also the actual activities and content area knowledge and and tying that all together are important. So both Twitter and LinkedIn are really important to me. I would say LinkedIn is where I kind of geek out a little bit more <laughs> and by that I mean, a lot of people share more in depth research based information in the LinkedIn platform where Twitter is more your your quick bursts, like you can see what people are doing. Maybe you'll have a link to something more in depth. But it's just a lot of really quick sharing that can be that, like I mentioned earlier, a quick boost, a quick idea for an activity, something that might improve something you're already doing. I just, I find so much inspiration coming from there for me. And then the last one that I would mention is those gatherings that, you know, the community of practice gatherings for STEM learning ecosystems. That was where, you know, I kind of felt like I met my people, you know, it's like, that's the community having those conversations about working through the challenges and the struggles to help STEM learning happen for kids.
0: Wow. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. I think that all of those are very valuable. It is great to hear you talking about that. And I think maybe we should change this to be called the lone wolves of STEM because I think that's (laughs) what what we're dealing with here. So Lisa, you've mentioned we could. Yeah, absolutely. I think that might even be the name. We don't know yet. We'll see. Maybe the name of the episode. Uh, So Lisa, you've mentioned Twitter, you've mentioned LinkedIn and, and whatnot. How do people get in touch with you specifically if they want to connect with you on one of those platforms or any other platform?
1: So my Twitter handle is at LJ Blank and LinkedIn. If you search Lisa Blank, you will find me there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did not write down. That's okay. Down I've, a-
0: I've searched for you. It's very easy. You're usually the top <laughs> one listed. Yes.
1: But you know what's funny? There is another Lisa Blank I, I went to a- You know,
0: isn't that crazy? (laughs) It's so weird.
1: I met her at a STEM ecosystem.
0: It's that, how neat is that to, to again, your people, that's fantastic. (laughs) Literally your people. (laughs) So Lisa, I could talk to you all day, but I know that you're very busy and I know that's just the beginning of your day. So I think we'll wrap it up here, but I would love to follow up with you at some point in time, because this has just been so great to chat with you. And I hope that we'll all be able to get together at some point in person and, and, and all meet at some point in time that but who knows who knows we may have to continue I to... call australia yeah.
1: australia or south korea hey let's
0: bring bring it on Sounds man cool. we can let's all meet in hawaii and then we'll just be halfway how about that that works <laughs> thank you so much lisa all
1: right thank you have a great day
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you on the next episode.